0: Well, I'm glad you're able to be with us this morning as we start celebrating the Christmas season with with a special Christmas sermon as we kind of lead into Christmas Eve, which will be on Sunday this year. That's exciting. And I know that a lot of illness is going around. So hey, if you're here and healthy, great. And for those of you watching at home that are not feeling well, we're praying you get to feeling better as soon as possible. So as we get ready to start this new sermon series called The Promised One, we're going to be looking at... Uh, some messianic prophecies about Jesus. And a messianic prophecy is simply a prophecy in the Old Testament that points to Jesus and something that he was going to do or to accomplish. And there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled during his ministry. And the New Testament authors refer back to these many different times, connecting the dots between what was talked about in the Old Testament, and what Jesus actually came to accomplish. And it's a pretty incredible thing, even for somebody to fulfill one or two prophecies. I mean, you could call that, you know, dumb luck. But to fulfill over 300 of them, that's pretty incredible. That seems to be that there's an intentional plan in place. And so as we talk about some of the, just a few of these prophecies, that's going to help us to put our attention on the birth of Jesus, but also to see how God promises and provides for the things that we need, especially the most. Some of the biggest spiritual needs that we have. So, you know, there's just a couple of, a cup, just a couple of times, just a couple of times in my life where um, I'm at home and Jenna is telling me something. And again, this has only happened just a couple of times. It's a very rare occurrence, but she's trying to tell me something and um, she'll have to say honey did you did you hear me and i'm like wait what hmm? and you know maybe i was you know watching a football game a little too closely or i had my phone out and i was scrolling i was a little preoccupied and so i i didn't quite understand what she was saying you know uh, there is a difference between hearing and listening you can hear somebody and you you know that there's there's like a sound you know, like sometimes you, you hear someone, they're talking in the other room, but you're not quite sure what they said. You're hearing them, but you're not really listening to them. Hearing is simply just perceiving that there's some kind of a sound, but listening means you give your attention to the sound. And, you know, I think hearing is sort of like the, uh, the adult voices in Charlie Brown. You know, those little wah, 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 wah. And we're all like, what did the teacher just say to Charlie Brown? We'll never know. We'll never know. But sometimes like you hear somebody, but you're not really paying attention, you're not really listening. And what we want to do is, well, we don't just want to hear, we want to be able to listen. We want to know what's going on. And in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, um, God's people have a hearing and a listening problem. In particular, Moses is coming to the end of his life and his ministry. Moses was God's spokesperson for the people of Israel, leading them out of slavery in Egypt and through the wilderness, wandering for over 40 years, and brought them up to the promised land. And that is how the Israelites knew what God wanted. Moses would meet with God, and then Moses would come tell them what God had said. And now they're about to go into the promised land, but Moses is not going to be coming with them. So they have this real big problem. Well, who, who, Who's going to speak on behalf of God for us? Who's going to tell us what God wants? Because you know this is before the Bible, this is before the gift of the Holy Spirit, so there really isn't a Bible yet. How do we know what we're supposed to do? How do we know where we're supposed to go? For, for you know, 40 plus years, the Israelites have known where to go because God appeared as a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud in the day. So they knew where to camp because the pillar stopped somewhere, and they knew it was time to pack up and move because the pillar began to move somewhere so what are we going to do? There's no more cloud. There's no more Moses. How do we hear from God? What do we do? That's a pretty big problem. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, you can turn there to chapter 18, starting with verse 14. That's where we'll be today. Moses is going to explain to Israel how they will be able to hear from the Lord. So Deuteronomy is this fancy word that simply means second law. After the first four books of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book and the final book that Moses wrote, is simply Moses' farewell sermon to the Israelites. So Deuteronomy sort of recaps and reviews their whole history and how God got them out of Egypt, how he led them through the wilderness and the promised land and provided for them. Moses repeats the Ten Commandments and the laws and so many of God's promises. And then he he encourages them to continue to obey the Lord. And he warns them that what could happen if they don't obey. So that's all going on in Deuteronomy. And, and by the time we get to chapter 18, Moses has talked about how priests are going to work. He's talking about how leadership is going to work. And so now it's the, the issue of, but, but who's going to talk for God? Because like, we, we don't know how to do that. Moses, who's going to be that guy? And so Moses gives them a prophecy of how God will continue to speak to them. So in Deuteronomy 18 Starting with verse 14, Moses says this The nations you will dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. That's, that's calling back to when they got the Ten Commandments, and when God came onto the mountain to meet with Moses, they saw God's presence like this giant smoky cloud that covered the mountain, and they heard thunder and lightning, and they heard a trumpet blast, and they were so terrified of God's power and holiness. Like, we definitely can't talk to this guy. This is terrifying. And so like, well, Mo. Moses, who, who's going to speak? Who's going to go talk to God for us? The Lord said to me, in verse 17, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, Or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. Not something to be taken lightly. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, this is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. So in this chapter, Moses gives the Israelites... A framework for how they'll be able to continue to talk and hear from God, and he starts off by warning them not not to listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. And I know in our modern context, we don't usually you don't usually run into that too often, right? Like it's not usually a, a major issue that we have. But those ancient practices were things that people did to try to convince the gods to do something, or try to force them to talk, or force them to appear or do some sort of ritual or practice to try to understand what what the gods are thinking about. And the reason God, not just here, but throughout the Old Testament, tells Israel, do not do that, is because divination and sorcery, things like that, misunderstand the relationship that Israel has and that we get to have with God. God is not sort of mysteriously hiding in the background and doesn't want to tell us anything. We don't have to sort of manipulate and trick God to tell us what to do. God's pretty forthcoming. If we need to know it, he will tell it to us. right? And we know that because we get to live in the era where we have the Bible. And if, if it's important enough that God needs us to know it, he made sure it made its way into the pages of Scripture. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could continue to talk with him. So God says, you don't need to, you don't need to do that because that's not how I relate with you. I will tell you what you need to know. I'm not going to hide things from you. I'm not going to keep secrets from you. If it's important enough, I'll tell you. And if I don't tell you, it's because you actually don't need to worry about it. That's not your concern, that's my concern. And so God will tell us what we need to know about him and his plans. But that same sort of initial challenge that that Moses gives, we have to think about that too. And it's simply the question, who will you listen to? Who are you going to listen to? I think, you know, all of us would agree we want to listen to God. We want to know what he says. We want to understand his words so that we can live it out appropriately. We want to make sure we're listening to the words of Jesus and not anybody else. And so for us, the question becomes well, how do we listen to God when we have the Holy Spirit and we have his word? What does that look like for us? How does this deal with the prophets work? So. This prophecy was given, obviously, before the Bible, before the Holy Spirit, and so God's framework to communicate with Israel until that time is, I'm going to give you prophets. And the role of prophets, you know, typically we tend to think, you know, a prophet tells you the future. That's not exactly what prophets do in the Bible. In fact, what prophets do is they, they first, they challenge the establishment and culture. Second, they remind Israel of their obligation to God's covenant that they made with him. So the covenant's like... God makes this promise with Israel, and they agree to it. So that's why, you know, you'll read the Old Testament, and God will say, if you do this, I will do this. Deuteronomy has a lot of these, where Moses will say, if you obey the Lord, if you follow his commands in the promised land, if you do these things, God will bless you, God will protect you, God will do this. But if you don't, then God will punish you. You know, you read other books of prophecy in the Old Testament, and the prophets are saying, hey, if you will turn back to the Lord your God, he will be faithful, he will restore you, but if you don't, he's going to bring enemy nations, and he's going to conquer you, and he's going to send plagues, and he's going to send locusts, and all these horrible things. That's because they've got to obey the covenant. And then lastly, they provide warning of the punishment when they don't obey. So that's what prophets do. And because they do that, they tend to sort of point into the future a little bit and tell you, well, here's what might come. If you do this, this could happen. And that's when the future gets involved. And the Old Testament is full of prophets. I mean, you just go through the Old Testament and we have entire books named after some of our prophets. We have Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Amos and Obadiah and Joel and Jonah and Zephaniah and Zechariah, Haggai and Malachi and others. And we have major prophets and minor prophets. And you know how, if you're a minor prophet, you know how you become a major prophet? You sign a 10-year, $700 million deal. No, I'm just kidding. If you want to go from a minor prophet to a major prophet, you just need to write more. That's the only difference. Jonah's a minor prophet just because he has four chapters instead of like 50 chapters. Just, just kept writing. That's all you have to do. And then there's lots of prophets that they don't get a book named after them. right? They're like Elijah and Elisha. They're important prophets, but they don't get their own books named after them. Or there's Nathan who confronts King David. He doesn't get his own book. And there's even prophets that aren't even named in your Bible. You'll just read through an Old Testament story, and they'll just mention, and a prophet or a man of God came and talked to them, or did this, or did that. And you're like, well, who's that? You have no idea. In fact, during the times of Elijah and Elisha, there's, there's hundreds of other prophets in Israel that don't get mentioned. They don't get their own stories. We have no idea who they are, but they exist. They exist. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your Bible out, and if you don't have like a physical Bible, grab one of those Red Pew Bibles in the seat in front of you, or maybe in the pocket under you, whatever, whatever's closest. And I want you, I'm going I'm to test you a little bit, I want you to find the last page of Malachi. So that is the last page of the Old Testament. And I think, I think if you use the Red Pew Bible, I just looked, I think it's page 1419 maybe, don't quote me on that. So, if you've hit Matthew, you've gone too far. Just keep flipping back until you find the very, 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 very last page of Malachi. All right. I know it's like if you ever did sword drills, like as a kid, his camps kind of like that. All right, everybody, fine. And then, of course, the youth minister always throws a trick at you, like, turn to, s-, and then they make up some name, and you're like, Hezekiah 318, and you're all, everyone's looking like, there's no Hezekiah, gotcha. All right, Malachi, we're close. I hear some pages turning still. We're close. Everyone's almost got it. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Get ready to turn the page from Malachi to the New Testament, but don't do it yet, okay? I'm going to count down from three, and when I say one, we will all turn the page to the New Testament. Okay, so on one. Ready? Three, two, one. And with that, you've just passed 400 years of human history. And in those 400 years, you'll notice there's nothing. I mean, maybe you've got like a title page for the New Testament, but nothing happens. Now, things are still happening. There's still human history going on. There are things that that we can read about and learn about. But generally speaking, there were no prophets in those 400 years. So God gave this promise that I'm going to give you prophets who are going to speak for you, and then for 400 years there were no prophets. There was no one to tell the people what God was saying and what God was up to and what they should do and how they should behave and how they should act. And the Israelites got a little nervous about that. You can read you can read some books if you want to for fun. There are these inter we call them intertestamental books. And they're, you know, we don't believe they're as accurate as the books in your Bible, but you know, for there's some uh, fun ones like the books of Maccabeus. You know, if you ever want a fun time, just re- just read Maccabees first, second, and sometimes third Maccabees and fourth Maccabees, depending how they divide them up. But you'll, you'll see the Israelites, they're pretty nervous because they don't have a person telling them what God wants them to do. So they're very nervous, and people just sort of decide to be heroes and decide to take matters into their own hands and try to lead the people and try to save the people. And and sometimes it works out okay, and sometimes it doesn't work out very well at all. And so the people are wanting somebody to talk, because Moses said there's going to be a prophet. There's always going to be a prophet. And prophecies in the Bible do something called multiple fulfillments. So here's how to imagine this. If you've ever gone to the mountains, then you will know that when you see the first mountain in front of you, you can't really see any of the mountains behind it, right? Like, the first mountain is so big, it's dominating your vision, you can't see anything behind it in the mountain range. That's kind of how multiple fulfillments work. The prophecies of the Old Testament are pointing to something that's actually pretty immediate. Otherwise, it wouldn't be that helpful. Like, if Moses is going to tell them about a prophet, it's not all that helpful if they're not going to have a prophet pretty soon. And so God sends all kinds of prophets in the near future that's a fulfillment of what Moses is saying. And so all the prophets in the Old Testament are fulfilling Deuteronomy 18. However, because there's multiple fulfillments, what that means is there's one fulfillment God has in mind that is the ultimate fulfillment, the greatest fulfillment. And so this is your Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. So after all these mountains, one after another, there's this one fulfillment that Moses was pointing to, and maybe Moses didn't even realize it, but God was pointing to the way he would fully fulfill the need for a prophet, and that would be his son Jesus. And so, after 400 years of silence, no prophets, not a lot of communication from the Lord, God finally breaks his silence with a crying baby in a little overlooked town called Bethlehem. And the prophet begins to speak. And prophetic words begin to come forth. And so, God gives us this ultimate prophet in Jesus who not only fits the description of Deuteronomy 18 exactly, but goes above and beyond what we ever thought Moses meant when he spoke those words. So, Moses says, God's going to raise up a prophet like me someone like Moses. Well, how is Jesus like Moses? Well, there's actually a number of ways he's like Moses. You see, Moses had a prophetic spirit, but Jesus has and relies on the Holy Spirit. Moses spoke on behalf of God, and Jesus does the same thing. In fact, you could say he goes one step further because he is God. Moses delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and Jesus delivers us from our sins into freedom. And in a strange way, both Moses and Jesus were born in similar historical situations where, after just a couple years of their birth, the ruling kings of both of their nations gave an order to kill all the baby boys that would have been within their age bracket. And Moses escapes, and Jesus escapes. Moses wrote five books in your Old Testament, and Matthew gives a little nod and a wink this way. By, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has five major sermons. And Moses, it's described, Moses met with God face-to-face as one speaks with a friend. And Jesus went off into quiet places to be alone with God. But Jesus also is the face of God. He's actually the way we can communicate with God directly. And so God does us one better. Because in Deuteronomy, the people, they're so afraid of God and his power and his holiness that they, they decide to speak to God through Moses. So God will speak to Moses, and he'll tell them what to do. And if they have a request, they'll tell Moses, and Moses will go back and meet with God. He's the in-between guy. But with Jesus, he is the voice of God. He is the face of God. When the people, the people say, and God says, this is correct, the people tell Moses, we're terrified, we can't talk to him. He says, you're right. You need to be, have this holy fear of God. But let me do you one better. Let me put on flesh and bone and skin and let me come down there to earth and you can actually talk with me. And maybe you won't be as scared. You'll be able to approach me and talk with me. And so he does that. And in Deuteronomy 18, Moses says about this prophet, you must listen to him. You must listen to him. And there's this story, we call it the, you know, the transfiguration, where Jesus takes three of his disciples, they go up to the top of a mountain, and Jesus sort of is transformed in front of them. His face shines like the sun, his, his clothes glow white, and there's a cloud that fills the mountain. Sounds a lot like the Old Testament when the Ten Commandments showed up. And the disciples hear a voice, the voice of the Lord, speaking from that cloud, saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And then he says, listen to him. This is the guy. This is the prophet that Moses talked about. This is the one you are to listen to. And so Jesus is that promised prophet for us to listen to. And of course, for most of us, we say, well, yeah, we absolutely want to listen to Jesus. That's not a hard sell. We want to not just hear his words we want to be able to listen to his words we want to understand we want to know what to do the challenge for us is we have so many distractions that are fighting for our attention that it can be hard to listen to jesus sometimes maybe jesus's words sound a little bit like those adults in charlie brown we're like what jesus can you say that one more time what was that or i don't what does that mean i'm a little confused and so we can have so many distractions that maybe we rush through our devotional time or we cut our prayers a little short or we think more about what we'll have for lunch at the restaurant than what we're listening to. And I don't know, maybe, the, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but have you ever finished, like, reading the Bible or doing a devotional and then, like, 30 minutes later you, you can't even remember what you just read? You're kind of like, what, did, what, did, what was my devotional about again? Hmm, something or, you know, I don't, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You won't offend me if it's happened to you, but you get home from church, from worship, and you're going, man, Justin preached such a great sermon, but I can't remember at all what he talked about. Well, what was it about again? I, if that's happened to you, I want to give you some tools to help with your listening. So I want to show you something called the retention pyramid or the knowledge retention pyramid. It's called different things. So this is like a learning tool. So teachers, you may be very familiar with this. So, what this means is the way that you receive the information determines how much you'll remember it. So, at the top, if you only hear something, you retain about 5% of the information. If you read something, you retain about 10% of it. If you get to see and hear, which is like audio-visual, so you throw in a picture, you throw in an infographic, you'll retain about 20% of it. And if you watch a demonstration, you can retain about 30% of it. And that part of the pyramid is all called passive learning. because you don't really have to do a lot. You just read, you listen, you watch something. It's, it's, you know, you just kind of sit back and absorb it. But the rest of the pyramid is active learning. And most of us, the furthest we usually go is that demonstration part. Like you'll pull up a video on YouTube to see, how do I fix this or do this? And that's it. But the rest of the pyramid is way more important because if you discuss something, you'll retain 50% of it, If you try to apply it and live it out, that's 75% of it. And if you teach others how to do it, you'll retain 90% of the information. And what did Jesus tell us to do in the Great Commission? He said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. I just wonder if maybe, you know, Jesus knew if you teach it, not only will they learn it, you'll learn it a whole lot better too. Because the limit of, you know, for example, even a sermon is I can only do the top half of that pyramid for you. At the best, you know, I can have you read something with me, I can have you listen to me, I can you know, put pictures and things up on the screen, or I could maybe demonstrate in real time how to do something. But I can't make you do the bottom half. I can't make you discuss it. I can't necessarily make you apply it. I can't barge into your home in the middle of the week and tell you, hey now, are you doing the thing? Are you, are, what are you doing? Did you figure something out? But if you do those things, you'll remember the words of Jesus even better. You know, when I was in college, one of my professors um, told us to study for our exams, we should practice teaching the material to other people. He said that would help us. So, for example, this professor was teaching us the book of Acts, and I can still remember we would take turns before a, a unit exam in the book of Acts, and we would each, you know, in a study group, take one chapter, and we would try to teach the material to the rest of our study group, And the rest of us would have our binders and notebooks open to see, did you miss anything? Did you forget something? Did you miss say something? And that actually really made it a lot easier to take the test. We could remember so much more of it. And for many of us, we struggle listening to Jesus because we don't go any further than the top half of that pyramid. We don't usually discuss it. We might not always try to apply it or live it out. You might say, hey, man, that was, a, that was you know, a great devotional time this morning, or that, hey, that was a good sermon, but then you don't do anything with it, or you don't do anything about it, you don't change anything, you don't try anything new, and so you forget about it. And Jesus spoke so many words that are worth listening to. Words like, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Words like, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. He said, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The Apostle James takes this just one step further by saying in his letter, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. And so what helps our listening is action. Again, if Jenna were to say to me, and this, this never happens, right? This, this never actually happens. If she were to say to me, hey, honey, can you help me unload the dishwasher? And I don't help. Did I really listen to her? Probably not. Again, that, that never happens. Never a problem. And so what we miss when we listen to Jesus is we don't do anything. We hear something and maybe we, we feel encouraged or we feel convicted or challenged and then that emotion goes nowhere. We don't do anything because we're convicted. We don't do anything because we've been encouraged. We just go, hey, that made me feel great or that made me feel a little... Ugh. A little nervous, a little, little conflicted, little, a little guilty, and we don't do anything. But listening and obeying the prophetic words of Jesus brings new life. That's the main point. Listening and obeying the prophetic words of Jesus brings new life. You know, I remember uh, one time in the Gospel of John, Jesus, he's got a huge crowd following him, and he preaches this really difficult sermon. And everybody gets mad and leaves, except for the 12 disciples. And Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, well, are you just going to go away too? And Peter, in his bright, one of his brighter moments, says, well, Jesus, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to know you're the Holy One. And so when we listen to the words of Jesus, because Jesus says, hey, come learn from me. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And a yoke is just a parable. It's just a little illustration of a way of teaching, a set of rules. Jesus says, if you really listen and do what I'm telling you, it is light. I'm not trying to weigh you down with a bunch of extra rules and expectations. I'm trying to give you freedom in God's plan and God's purposes. And often the step we miss in listening is doing something. We listen, but we don't do anything. And so take the time to think about how you can put into practice the words of Jesus and then simply do it. And many times this does not have to be some massive project. This does not have to be some big world-changing thing that you do. Many times it's just a simple act. It's just a small change. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. And so when you read or when you hear something, go further. Talk about it with your friends. Talk about it over lunch. Think about how you could live that out. Think about something even small you could do. And then give it a shot. Try it out. Here's something interesting that Peter says in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. Peter said, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God. Accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So Peter, even in his sermon, he points that Jesus is the prophet because God did things to prove to you this is him. This is the guy you're supposed to listen to. But of course, Jesus is more than that. He's not just a prophet. He's also the Messiah. He's the Holy One. And so God proved to us this is the guy we should absolutely listen to. This is the guy that every book in the Bible points us to and explains and makes sure we understand well enough so that we can follow him. But then Peter goes on and he gives this this prophetic warning. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, and he, he tells them, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And so when God sent the person that Israel was supposed to listen to, they didn't listen to him. That's the irony. They didn't listen. But here's what the good news is. Because the warning, the punishment in the the Old Testament, like if you don't listen to that prophet, you could be killed for that. But Peter says next in his sermon, when the people are so disturbed by this news, they're cut to the heart and they say, "Well, well, Peter, what can we do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized. That's it. That's what you do. And so the good news is that if you've never listened to Jesus before, there's an opportunity to be forgiven and to start to listen to Jesus. And for those of us who have, we want to listen to Jesus, but we know there are times when we haven't listened very well, there's still forgiveness. We can still turn and listen to the words of Jesus and find new and eternal life in him. To find that his ways really are freeing. That his teaching really is light and he helps us carry the burden that we so often feel in our lives. And so for us, as we get ready for Christmas and to remind ourselves of the coming of our Savior, let's all practice listening to Him. Just a little closer. I know this season can be so busy. There's, there's meals, there's parties, there's events, there's presents to buy and wrap, there's places to go. But don't become so busy that you miss the voice of Jesus. And what he's trying to say to you. And how he wants to encourage you and to challenge you and to remind you that you belong to him. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for your words. And I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who reminds us of everything that you've said. And I'm thankful for your words in scripture. That you led people to write down the things that we need to know about. And so we can go back and read the exact things that you told us. And Lord, I'm thankful that through the Holy Spirit, you make the words in the Bible jump off the page and come to life for us. Like it says in Hebrews, that, that the word is like a double-edged sword. And sometimes that that sword, it convicts us. It, it reveals our sin and how fall we fall how far we have fallen, but it also reveals to us the hope and the grace that you've given us. So Lord, forgive us when we haven't done a good job of listening to you and obeying you, but help us to recognize your grace and your forgiveness so that we can continue to listen to you and we can turn to you and find in you eternal life. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.